This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question asks if I can take a look at the Elizabeth Holmes case including taking a look at mental health and personality characteristics. Elizabeth Holmes, of course, is the founder of a company called Theranos, a name she put together from the words therapy and diagnosis. Now, an important note here, Elizabeth Holmes, of course, is a real person, so I'm not diagnosing her or anyone else in this video, but rather speculating about what could be happening in a situation like this. Now, as usual, I read a number of articles to prepare for this video. I also watched the HBO documentary on Elizabeth Holmes that came out in 2019. It was named The Inventor, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. I saw that the runtime was just under two hours long, and I was a little worried that it may become drawn out, but actually it was excellent. It was an excellent documentary, very interesting. It actually provided a lot of information that I didn't know before I watched it. So first I'll go through a timeline of what happened with Elizabeth Holmes and her company, and then move into the analysis of mental health and personality characteristics. So Elizabeth Holmes was born in 1984. Her early life seems relatively uneventful. She described not having a lot of friends and spending a lot of time reading like classic literature. She attended Stanford University, and in 2003, she started her own company. In 2004, she dropped out of Stanford University and changed the name of her company to Theranos. Before the end of that year, she raised $6 million in venture capital. Within seven years, she raised over $90 million. The idea for her company was essentially based on more efficient blood testing. She had this idea that she could conduct hundreds of tests for pathology, and these tests could be conducted using just a drop of blood as opposed to a vial of blood. She also had this idea that all the testing could take place in this small machine. It was about the size of two desktop computers side by side. She referred to this machine as the Edison, named after Thomas Edison, arguably one of the most famous inventors in history. As she was getting started, she was able to secure investment capital from relatively famous individuals, like members of the Walton family and Rupert Murdoch. She was also able to get famous people to serve on her board, like Henry Kissinger, James Mattis, and George Schultz. Holmes built the company up to about seven to 800 employees, and in 2014, the company was valued at $9 billion. She owned half of that, so her net worth was $4.5 billion. Things started going downhill for Theranos, though, in 2015, when an article was published in the Wall Street Journal. This article, which included information from whistleblowers, revealed that the Edison machine that Theranos was developing was not providing accurate results, and that Theranos was actually using traditional laboratory machinery to run tests, machines that were already available. They didn't really have any new technology. Shortly after this, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, known as CMS, would place sanctions against Holmes and Theranos, the company also ran into trouble with the SEC and the state of Arizona, where they had been conducting tests using the laboratory equipment and, to some extent, the Edison machines. In 2018, the company shut down and criminal charges were filed against Holmes and the former president and CEO 
of the company named Ramesh Bawani, known as Sonny. Sonny was also the love interest of Elizabeth Holmes for many years. So what are my thoughts on this case? There's some interesting human behavior elements to the story in general, and of course some specifically related to the behavior we saw from Elizabeth Holmes. The first thing that really stands out is how easily Holmes was able to secure millions of dollars in investment capital. In 2004, she was 20 years old, and yet people were tripping over each other to hand her money. So what happened here? It's hard to say for sure, but it appears that as soon as she secured the first investor, that made her look more legitimate, that made it easier to secure the second investor, and so on. Also, her ability to secure high-profile investors, I think, really helped her a lot. Another interesting part is how the investors explained why they invested. They liked the idea, revolutionizing blood testing and all that, but they really seemed to be hung up on the special characteristics that Elizabeth Holmes supposedly possessed. Her motivation, her vision, her leadership ability, her technical knowledge, her charisma. There was this idea that somehow she was going to be the next tech billionaire. And by her achieving this status, the investors would become wealthier in the process. It would appear that the only thing that was missing from the investor's analysis was any evidence that this was true, right? She didn't appear to have developed or have access to any new technology. It was just really an idea that they believed was clever. I find this part particularly fascinating. Charisma plus a good idea means someone is going to be the next Steve Jobs. At least that's how the math looks here. And of course, Steve Jobs was a hero to Elizabeth Holmes. This would be like saying, I'm going to build a new car, and this car is going to have half the weight of a normal car, but still be as safe. It sounds like a great idea, but how am I going to implement the idea? I would need a material that was lighter than steel, but just as strong and not more expensive. I would have to have a process to shape this material into frame and subframe components, body panels, and other parts for the vehicle. There's a lot to it. It's more than just having a good idea. I think this is a testament to how easily some people can be fooled. Instead of being fooled by a typical type of fast-paced manipulation routine, like somebody saying, I need the money now or this opportunity will be gone, they were fooled by somebody who had a lot of enthusiasm and pie-in-the-sky ideas. The next interesting part of this case, of course, is the behavior of Elizabeth Holmes herself. She had this charm, motivation, belief in her own abilities. There was this sense that she truly believed that she was the kind of person who could revolutionize the field, even though she didn't know much about the field. This is a field that had major companies already in it, companies that had a lot of intelligent people working for them who understood blood testing, including engineers and biochemists. Holmes believed she was going to be what they call a disruptor. She was going to introduce technology that would disrupt the field. She was going to step into this well-established field and change everything. I don't think she believed that she was going to commit fraud someday, it appears that she really believed that she could deliver all the things she promised. Holmes believed that she could be the person that these investors needed her to be. And the investors, by giving her money, essentially tried to turn her into a person that she wasn't, or make her idea feasible when it wasn't. Now, to be fair to the investors, I'm sure many of them made bad investments before. That's one of the risks they take in their line of work. Maybe they looked at all the evidence and said, it's worth the risk. If Elizabeth Holmes can follow through, with what she says she can do, it would make them much wealthier. If she can't, it's the cost of doing business. However, you do get the sense that many, if not all of these investors, really truly believed 
in Elizabeth Holmes. Several stuck with her even when things were looking pretty grim toward the end. Because Holmes believed in herself, this made it much more convincing not only for the investors, but for everyone else. She was interviewed extensively many times by different people in the media, and initially nobody really suspected anything illegal. They didn't think that something criminal was happening or was going to happen in the future. She was becoming famous, a hero in the world of technology startups, somebody who is going to revolutionize the medical field. So what about the mental health and personality characteristics in this case? Well, first, it's important to note that nothing could be going on. She simply could have chosen to behave in the way that she did. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. She could have created a public persona that is different than how she is in real life. All we really have to go on is information we see in videos and that's written in articles. The person she appears to be, again, could be different than the person she is. As far as any pathology, any psychopathology like mental disorder, I don't see any evidence that her behavior aligns with any mental disorder. There are certain personality characteristics that seem to be indicated from her behavior and some other traits that people suspect are there. I've heard many say that she's sociopathic. I don't agree with this, but I'll talk about my reasons why in a moment. Many say she's narcissistic. I think a better case can be made for narcissism, but it's still not perfectly clear. And I'll talk about this in a moment too. So looking at the sociopathy angle, the construct of psychopathy can be divided into two factors. Factor one, or primary psychopathy, and factor two, or secondary psychopathy. Sociopathy is really just another name for factor two, or secondary psychopathy. Now with factor one psychopathy, we see someone who's a pathological liar. They demonstrate fearless dominance. They lack remorse. They have a low level of neuroticism. That's one of the big five personality traits. They tend to be manipulative and they're callous and unemotional. With factor two psychopathy, or sociopathy, we see someone who's irresponsible, impulsive, erotic, emotionally reactive, and who engages in criminal behavior. So looking at the definition of factor two psychopathy, it does appear that she engaged in criminal behavior. And one could argue that that's irresponsible by definition, although technically irresponsibility is a separate idea. But there really isn't much evidence of neuroticism, impulsivity, or being emotionally reactive. Also, the way we conceptualize these traits, they would have had to have been present in her childhood. And there's no evidence that that's the case. Now with factor one, you run into that same problem. The traits are thought of as long-standing. 
and it's unclear if these behaviors were manifested in her childhood. As the founder of Theranos, she did seem to be fearless. This is not unusual for a business leader. She appeared to have low neuroticism. Again, this is also expected for her position. Was she manipulative? Perhaps toward the end, like telling the media she didn't know what was going on in her own lab? That could be argued as manipulative. And perhaps she was a little unemotional. She didn't really seem to have a lot of emotional expression in a number of her interviews. So what about narcissism? Well, narcissism is divided into two types, grandiose and vulnerable. I don't really see much happening here in terms of vulnerable. That's when somebody has a lot of shame, is socially awkward and pessimistic. But we do see some characteristics that may align with the grandiose side. For example, fantasies of success and power. She seemed to have those. Self-centeredness, one could make that argument. Believing oneself to be special. Maybe, certainly other people believe she was special, but it's not perfectly clear if she believed she was special. She appeared to be socially bold. She did appear to have superficial charm. Again, she managed to charm the investors. She was highly self-confident and appeared to be optimistic. As far as the other characteristics of grandiose narcissism, it's really much less clear. Did she require excessive admiration? She was given a lot of admiration, but it's not clear if she required it. Was she envious? She doesn't seem to be envious. Arrogant? I would say maybe, but probably more confident than arrogant. One could make the argument for the presence here of the dark triad, conceptualized as subclinical characteristics of narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism, meaning the characteristics don't rise to the level of a mental disorder. They don't necessitate treatment. Dark triad traits are actually fairly common among business leaders. The dark triad is not considered to be adaptive from a social point of view, but the traits can be adaptive in terms of business success. Now, I've also heard people comment about her intense stare. Does that point to anything? I think it's probably just a product of her intensity and focus. I don't see any evidence that it indicates anything else. I've also heard people comment on her voice being deep, right? This is pretty popular on the internet. We even see some videos out there. Some have reported that her voice is naturally higher. Now, others have said that the voice you hear in the media coverage on those videos is actually her voice. So it's hard to know what's going on there, but if I had to guess, I would say that's her actual voice. It would be hard to maintain that deep voice, if it wasn't her natural voice, for the length of time that she did it. Then we see this idea that she really wasn't lying, that she was delusional. I think the evidence points toward lying. The standard for a delusion is very high. She did appear to believe things that were not true, but that's not necessarily delusional. A delusion is a fixed false belief, so it takes a while to meet that standard. Holmes was simply lying. She wanted her lies to be true, but that doesn't convert lies into delusions. The last point I'll talk about here is the paranoia. This was mentioned in the HBO documentary. Holmes agreed with an interviewer who called her paranoid. She had bulletproof glass installed in her office. She had bodyguards, quite a few of them. Employees accused her of spying on them, like having access to emails when she wasn't on the email, and even keeping track of the keystrokes, like when they keyed in information into a computer. All this, of course, is unusual. But I think it's important to remember that no one knows how they're going to react if all of a sudden they became wealthy and famous. It's not like she had paranoia before all this. At least there's no evidence that points toward that. So it's hard to know about paranoia here. You really have to see her behavior in an environment that was not as stressful as running 
a multi-billion dollar company. I think one of the major key learning opportunities from all this is that it can be dangerous to need something to work or to need something to be true. In a sense, Holmes and many of our investors needed this invention, the Edison, to work. Its failure was not optional. There wasn't even an opportunity to modify the idea a bit. For example, what about just trying to do testing of smaller samples and not worrying about this little machine? So disconnecting the sample size from the Edison machine. Or what about making the machine larger, like the size of a refrigerator or a walk-in freezer? Holmes had this dream of making Theranos, the apple of medicine. She wanted an Edison to be in every house, just like Apple devices are in many houses. Only that specific outcome was acceptable to her. So Holmes developed a linear style of thinking as opposed to a flexible style of thinking. It was going to work no matter what. If somebody says that it wasn't working or it wouldn't work in the future, they weren't right for the company. They were plotting against her or they were involved in some sort of conspiracy against her. Many were willing to go along with Elizabeth in her bad decisions to ignore obvious signs that the company was going to fail. Nobody wanted to give up the dream. Many decisions by many people in the situation were based on emotions. And emotional decisions lead the way to disaster. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.